You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Now we are finally on our last installment of our series that we have been calling Think Outside the Box. Now, I know many of you are relieved that this series is finally over. If you are to be honest, no, this series has made us quite uncomfortable, isn't it right? Comfortable siya, but if you ask me that uncomfortable feeling, that could be very well God be pointing out those issues in our lives, di ba? Now today, we'll be building on top of our previous installments. And so if you've missed any of our installments for this series, please show your soul a favor and rewatch and listen to our previous installments, right? If you've listened to our previous installment though, of our series, Annie, week one, we talk about what? Come on now. Jesus warning against covetousness. That's right, di ba? Jesus warns us against covetousness. And last week, we talk about how the Lord calls us to not be anxious, Right? And Jesus argues that on the first week, that life is more than body and the, more than food. For the body is more than clothing and the life is more than food. Right? Therefore, we should not covet. On the second week, we understand that God tells us that to consider the lilies, consider the birds of the air. If God has fed those birds, what makes you think God won't feed you? So on point of those series, basically, is number one, we shouldn't be anxious because God deeply cares for us. And we shouldn't covet because for life is simply more than what we can have here on earth. Now today is more of a practical application for those two things. And in fact, including that, the solution for not being covetousness and the solution for not being anxious is simply to seek the kingdom of God. And that's what we'll do today, give more practical examples for that. All of us, if you love your job, the last thing you want to happen is to get fired from it. Right? You don't want to be fired from your job. Now, different companies have different standards of being terminated, but there's one common denominator, which is poor performance. If you perform poorly, you would be terminated. That's just how the world works. So today, we will talk about someone who's just like that, all right? This story is about the shrewd manager. So why don't we open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 16? And it says here, he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that they hear about you? Turning your account and your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to him, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me. I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from my management, people may receive me into their homes. So... Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
Verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Who among you love to eat mga only wings? Mga eat all you can. I guess it's safe for me to say, I don't know if this is true for the foreigners, but for the Filipinos, I think it's safe to say that we don't just eat my nani just to be full. Is that right? We eat hantu babawin at atong gasto. Alright? We eat para ma-recuperate ang cost na to. Diba? Di lang yung mabusog. Diba? Kisayang food. Nag-only wings na yan. Dili mahurot. Diba? Or dili tayo mga kabawis itong gasto. If you're here na magana sa mag-only wings sa Vikings or whatever, di ba makakawal kagdagan? So in the same way, I'm sharing that because to a certain degree, that's what's happening here in the parable of the shrewd manager. Alright? He took advantage of his present position to arrange a comfortable future. Right? So this parable of the shrewd manager is quite hard to understand, isn't it right? Especially if the first time you magpagbasa ani mo ha, sure, heard. It's quite difficult to understand, but the key to understanding parables is that you don't overcomplicate. Whenever you talk about parables, you don't overcomplicate them. Parables are not allegories in which na they put a meaning almost on every minute detail. Okay, the wheat and the olive symbolizes this and that. Two debtors because it's not like that, right? It's simply what you see is, honestly, is what you have. But to understand parables better, we need to understand that number one, parables were given to concretize a point that Jesus was making. Right? So, usually in mga parables, it's only one point. The reason why Jesus is telling a parable is to give out one point. Right? And of course, para ma solidifies in our mind. Another reason for parables is to elicit a response from its hearers or to call forth a response from its hearers. So if you're one of the people who heard the parables of Jesus, dapat na kay response, Anna, in light with what we just said. That's why often parables have huge plot twists. Masyang audit ha? What's what happened? So that they can bring forth a response. So here's the question. Who was his audience during this time? It's important to understand who his audience is because it may achieve a different response. If actually read verse 14 after the, the text we just read, verse 14, makabaluka na ang mga Pharisees were actually listening in to what Jesus was saying. And of course, in response out was, they ridiculed the Lord. But what was the response of his original audience, Ani? And in fact, who was his original audience? Well, number one, it says here in verse 1, he also said to his disciples, so, kisa ang audience ani? Ang mga disciples. Rest mga disciples ani. It was for the believers then, it is also for the believers now. Alright? If you follow Jesus, this parable is for you. Alright? If you're part of Victory Domingue, if you consider that Jesus is your Lord, if you submit to his Lordship, this parable is for you. So, let's look at the parable. It says here, verse 1, he also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. So there's two characters here. Number one, ang rich man who owned probably many real estate, many, lots of things, right? Doesn't say what, but he owned a lot of things. And of course, he had a manager managing all of these possessions that he had. If we were to put this context today, it could be that there was a rich man and a manager is like your portfolio manager. The one who's managing your investments, your stocks, and all those things. Or para mas yun sabtun, It could be that Ang rich man is like 
nakatikiya sa apartment, sa nag-grant ka ron. Siya apartment, siya mga condominium, and that's just abroad. So he has to put someone in the Philippines para to manage that real estate. Di ba? Are you catching so far? So the one who's managing it and reporting to the rich man is the manager. Right? If nag-grant ka dara, mubayad ka sa manager, the manager is responsible for the money basically. Here's what happened. There was a rich man and a manager, and it says here, and charges were brought to him, and this man was what? Wasting his possessions. So now, this, this manager was wasting the possessions of the rich man. Now, there is no indication or any part of the text that signifies that the manager was stealing from the rich man. At this end apart. He wasn't embezzling. It was just that this man was, quote-unquote, wasting his possessions. In fact, if you read the previous chapter, Annie, verse 15, talks about the story of the prodigal son. You know that? What happened to the prodigal son? He was squandering the properties of his father. So actually, he uses the same tone here. The manager was wasting the possessions of the rich man. So the problem here was not that he was stealing from the rich man. The problem here was he was doing a terrible job. He was doing a terrible job at managing this master's finances. So what the rich man do? It says here, and he called him, the rich man called the manager, what is it that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. So in short, goodbye. Fired as the manager. Right? Turn in your account, we're done. Muna ang kwanza manager. Now, of course, this has a lot of implications for the manager. Not just my warren check job, but the very fact that he is living under the rich man, meaning next tape with just properties of my rich man and all those things. So when he was fired, but he also lost his home, he lost his job, he lost his reputation to the community. This manager lost everything. So of course, very big problem for him. Look at this one, verse 3. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do if my master is taking away the management from me? He started talking to himself. Have you ever tried that? Ba? I've been so pressured, you start talking to yourself. What shall I do? I'm not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. Ah, manager before. Karon, alms, was ashamed to beg. He cannot dig. So He was contemplating, he was thinking, what could, what could get out of this situation? Or how could he get out of this situation? Look at this one, verse 4. It says here, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, look at this one, people will, may receive me into their homes. So once the rich man removes me from management, I need to think of some plan that can basically set my future to make my future more secure. Right? That's what we have there. So what does he do? In a nutshell, to secure his future, the manager started calling or started calling one of the master's clients and started canceling their debts or a portion of it to gain favor from them once his termination becomes official. So he called his utang niya. Okay, sige, Blaze, um, Boss Lodi, Kuya, Neil, na may utang sa mong master? Sige, pili utang ni mo. Atong bawasan. Kasi purpose, Ana, so that, nasa lay, 
In Filipino terms, we call it utan ng loob. A debt of gratitude, right? Something like this. Data number one. Pili mo utang ni Master. 900 gallons of olive oil. 900 gallons kayo, Lloyd. Dekano kasi mong olive oil. Sige, luto ni mo. Only wings. So, anyway, diba? So, 900 gallons of olive oil. So, uh, you know what, kayo, Lloyd? Since friends, uh, make it 450. Uh, utan ni mo ni Manager. Cousin, data number two. How much do you owe my Master? 1,000 bushels of wheat. Ah, Kuya Neil, you can cut it down to 800 na lang since friends ta. So muna gibuhat niya. To put this to perspective, his actions would amount to 500 denarii. Alright? You know what 500 denarii is? If you convert it today, that would be around two years worth of salary. So duwa ka tuwi ni mong salary, muna gikancel ni manager. Now, if you were the manager, what would be your response? If you're a manager, So yung mga response ni mo, ah, pag-aap po ni Magnawong, di ba kabalumuhan nila sa wealth? Ikuwaan pa ko ni Magnawong. Di ba? I mean, he could respond in rage. Now, why did you do this? Here's the crazy thing. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager. What? Why in the world did the master commend the manager? Notice, the rich man wasn't commending the manager for this dishonesty, right? He wasn't commended for lying or for stealing. So what was he commended from? The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For his shrewdness. So here's the big idea here. Jesus is giving a good lesson from a bad example. This is not Jesus commending the manager for stealing. That's not the case here. In the parable of the dishonest manager, good lessons from a negative example. Muna ang point here. At the good lesson makuha sa negative example ni Jesus. So it says here, what was the commendation about? It was about his, for his shrewdness. What is shrewdness? Probably not a word most of us use often. So if you look at Merriam-Webster, definition ana, shrewdness simply means Marked by a clever or discerning awareness. In short, wise or sharp. Nislang pa, street smarts, wais, shrewd. Right? In what way was this manager shrewd? Says here in verse 9, I'm reading from the NLT. Look at this one. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Muna ang point three. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. So the dishonest manager manipulated the money to secure his future. Right? This is not just actually money, right? This could be your position, your power, your resources, your good looks, whatever. You use these things for your advantage. Use your resources to your advantage is a point there. Now, when you read that, major cringe, no? Use your resources to your advantage. Medyo uncomfortable, medyo biblical, alright? So don't take a picture of that. I'll qualify that, alright? Kama lang. You need to understand that in this text, there's two types of people. Can we go back to verse 8? Sons of the world and sons of light. There's two people here. The sons of this world and the sons of light. No, the sons of this world. Come on, we've talked about this the past few weeks, right? The unbelievers, the dishonest manager, the rich fool in week one, 
who built bigger barns for themselves, who would seek what the rest of the world seeks, abundance of possession. Sons of this world. How about the sons of light? The believers, those who seek the kingdom of God, who provide for themselves money, who does not grow old, or store treasures in heaven, who does not fail. If you were here last, you talk about what? This is to seek the kingdom of God. It's actually Koram Deo, right? To be always to be conscious of God's presence. To live in the sovereign rule of the Lord. To submit to His rules. That's what Koram Deo is. Their concern is what concerns the Lord. So it radically shifts not just the priority of our lives, but the very way we live our life. Therefore, what's my point here? What's my point? Therefore, for the Christian man, use your resources, your worldly wealth to your advantage, which is to advance God's kingdom. For the Christian man, we use your resources, the money that you have, skills, talents, whatever that may be, to advance God's kingdom. That's the point here of the parable. Now, here's the problem. To go back to verse 8, it says there, For the sons of this world are what? Are more shrewd in dealing with their own generations than the sons of light. In short, mas maro, mas wise pa sila na to. Let me, let me paint you a picture how that look like. If the world is more shrewd than us, and they would cause us to compromise our convictions, is that right? Ay, upo na namo kinong parts. Dili tikaw takakasyat. Sito ra. Kuri, bahala ni mo. Upo na namo. The world will do everything they can to get what they want. Very shrewd sila. You want bigger grades? Ay, Mike, yung mangitag po maagi para mo cheat. Bro, gusto mo yung 1K, maging 10K? May gusto, may paraan. Kung ayaw, maraming dahilan. Very shrewd. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we should lie, cheat, and steal and stoop down to the level. That's not my point. What I am saying is that we show the same level of enthusiasm, determination, and conviction. That we do everything we can to advance God's kingdom. That's what it means to be shrewd. It's just that the sons of this world often show more concern and skill in taking care of their earthly well-being than the sons of light in taking care of eternal matters. So in short, ang sons of this world, mas maya pa sila to achieve ilang mga goals and objectives of their own personal lives rather than the sons of light in advancing God's kingdom. It's a big problem right there. Thankfully, Jesus gives us an advice for this, right? In a different book, Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 16, when he was sending out the apostles, he says it this way, Look, I am sending you out as sheep among the wolves. So, come on now, be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. So Jesus is telling here that you should be shrewd as snakes. So as we take the gospel in a very hostile world, you must be wise. You must be effective. You must be wise in how to deal, how to navigate certain difficulties so that the kingdom of God will advance. 
And at the same time, we ought to be innocent as doves who does not compromise in their conviction, who obeys the word of God. Shrewdness does not equal dishonesty and innocence does not equal gullibility, church. A good example for this is Paul. If you study Paul, you get to understand that he, of all people in the New Testament, he is the number one fixated on the kingdom of God. Is that right? I mean, this guy just wrote a lot of episodes. This guy visited the churches. This guy was so focused on eternal things. But they, make no mistake, he was no pushover. He was shrewd, right? He maximized on him being a Roman citizen. You know that? I'm reading an example here in Acts 22. It says here, when Paul was captured because of preaching the gospel, it says it here, when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Shaktu that you are flogging me, a Roman citizen? Uncondemned, but good. Jump to verse 29. So those who were about to examine him withdrew, right? They went back from him immediately, and the tribe was also afraid, for he realized. That Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. What's the point here? Paul has used or has leveraged him being a Roman citizen so that the gospel will still advance. Had not Paul been shrewd, had not had been wise and did not leverage this, it could have been he was flogged. Or worse, he could have died from flogging. But no, he was very shrewd. Another example here is 1 Corinthians 9.22. This is Paul again. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. Alright? To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And why does Paul do this? Why does he become so shrewd, so careful, so wise in dealing with these things? Was it just so that he could have name for himself? No. I do it all for the sake of what? For the sake of the gospel. He does all things for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Is that not wisdom? Now here's the question. How do we be quote-unquote wise as serpents and innocent as doves? How do we be shrewd for the kingdom of God? We have here verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, there's two things I want to highlight here. Number one, the word unrighteous wealth. This is a general description of wealth here. It simply means worldly wealth. Delicia, unrighteous in a sense na kinawa na wealth. No. It simply means that it is worldly wealth and gigamit siya as contrast to true riches, which is eternal wealth. So, para makakaroon contrast, worldly wealth or unrighteous wealth, money here on earth, our riches here on earth, worldly wealth, true riches, eternal wealth, right? So it says here, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. 
Look at this one. It's very interesting. So that when it fails, it doesn't say if it fails, but rather when it fails. So it's not a possibility that ultimately money will fail us. It's an assured thing. If you think about it, when does money fail? When does money fail us? Come on now. At death. Yes, your wealth may reach up to your great, 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 great grandson. But look at me. It cannot reach the gates of heaven. The gates of heaven can only be reached by the blood of Christ. Because worldly wealth will inevitably fail in both satisfying and providing our eternal needs. Remember last week on Luke 12? Jesus invites us to what? To provide for ourselves with treasures in heaven which does not fail. Which does not fail. The second thing I want to highlight in verse 9. Can we go back to verse 9? It says here, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What this verse is essentially saying is, be generous, make friends. Be generous, make friends. But look at me. Don't just make friends just for the sake of making friends. What scripture tells us here is that don't just make friends just for the sake of making friends, but we make friends so that you can bring them to Christ. The immediate context here, Diba, is the manager who was wasting the possessions. And that he called the debtors to cancel the debt so that so that they can receive him in their homes. But the kingdom context here is actually what? It's actually laying treasures in heaven. Laying treasures in heaven. And what? Saving souls. That's the point here. So here's my question for you, Victor Dumaguete. Are you using your money to bring people to Christ? Are you using your wealth to bring people to Christ? Ultimately, church, you maximize our worldly wealth by investing it in eternal wealth. That's what being shrewd is. Another question we can ask ourselves after we draw our last breath and meet the Lord, the question is, will we have friends in heaven? Not just talking about the friends you meet here in church, but the friends that, in a context in which you preach the gospel to them. When you meet in heaven, man, Kuya Neil, salamat ka for preaching the gospel to me. Please, thank you for always meeting me, even if di ko reply sa imuha. Will we have friends in heaven? I call this practical, shrewd Christianity, meaning using our worldly wealth, whatever the Lord has given us in this life, and invest it into eternal wealth. Practical example, you have money. Imo mga gina-invite for Bible study, Victor, kung manunga. 
How are you being shrewd with your money? Bro, let's go to Saba. Yellow cab, let's uh, buy you pizza, bro. Let's eat pizza. Invite them and share the word there. Being shrewd. You have a house. You open your doors, invite people in. Come, fellowship with us. Your mga neighbors. And what? And share the gospel to them. That's what being shrewd is. Nakay neighbor, nakita ni mo, gaparag pwede ka, boy. Nakay car, ay sakay dari. Ito, di ka pa uli. Dungan tag uli. Being shrewd, maximizing what the Lord has given you here, worldly wealth, unrighteous wealth, so that you can invest in true riches. In making friends for eternity. In preaching the gospel to the lost. Let me just give you some real life examples here. Kuya Gaudi and Ate Ammam here. I think I can honestly speak on behalf of many of our leaders here. That we are so blessed by their life, right? I mean, the gift of hospitality and generosity is actually so incredible. Especially during the pandemic. I don't know if you know this, but many of our leaders during the pandemic, right? what happened to the pandemic? Isolation, what worship service, all, that. all of us felt secluded, parang even among walk in relationship with the Lord, but parang, oh Lord, pupuya, honey God. Even mga bigatin rin, nakatakilin po, takilin po ba? But yet, when they invite us to their homes, they what? Restoring us, encouraging us with the word of God. Honestly, a lot of people were so blessed by their lives. May man sila, Mark, Idato. A lot of times, actually, they struggle sila financially. And yet, and yet, even in their lack, they still gave. They were still generous. Yet, God still seen them through. If you ask them again, Silang Kuya Gaudi, they just started a startup business last year, end of last year. If you talk about startup business, it's a difficult thing, right? Managing out of things, difficult, not easy job. But guess what? In spite of their busyness, I don't see a Sunday where they don't serve. Not just serve on Sunday, huh? but even on our youth services, mga events. Guess what? Present kapun sila. Not just that, because as in their business karon, they use their business to do victor groups with mga employees nila. Is that not true? Another example, mga to mga young professionals. Who joined Alaba a few weeks ago, my students? If you ask any of those students, they would all agree that Alab was such a turning point for them. Right? It reignited their passion and zeal for the Lord. But guess what? A number of them weren't supposed to be able to join because no registration fee namal. But guess what? Because some of our young professionals actually sponsored them, paid for their registration. Many of them were able to go investing in the kingdom of God. One of them actually sponsored six students for that event, gave money for them, not for themselves, but for them, so that they can experience the Lord in a deeper way. Not just even with their resources, my young professionals, not with this victory. I mean, I'm so blessed by their lives, no? Not just their wealth, but even their time and effort. I mean, naabut sila kadlawon, working on the props, arranging, 
You know who you are. Sacrifice your time, the resources. For what? For the kingdom of God. So this is where Jesus' parable ends in verse 9. It doesn't give us a conclusion about what happened next after the master commanded him. Again, a parable only has one point, which is to commend the shrewdness. Or rather, ask Christians, you ought to be shrewd as well. But in verse 10, it says here, he expounds his point there, right? One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, honestly, Lord. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Look at this one, verse 11. If then you have not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you true riches? If you have not been faithful with what God has given you here on earth to advance His kingdom, who will entrust you with true riches in heaven? If all you did here on earth was to satisfy yourself, satisfy your needs, and nothing about the kingdom of God, what makes you think that God will entrust you true riches? I'm not saying how you need to give, tithe, um, do all these things para ka accept it to heaven. That's not my point. My point is where our money goes is indicative of who our master is. Where we spend our resources, where we spend our time, where we spend our day is indicative of who our master is. So in verse 12 and 13, it says it this way, if you've not been faithful with that which is another's, who will give you which is your own? Verse 13, look at this one. No servant can serve two masters. For you either hate the one and love the other. Who will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot, church, serve both God and money. Like I said, where our money goes is indicative of who our master is. We cannot serve both God and money. This is how Jesus concluded his teaching in this parable here. That you cannot serve both God and money. The word serve, let's break this line down for a while. Serve. A servant, what? Submits to its master. A servant cannot go against the will and the whim of its master. So if your master is wealth, if your master is the stings of this world and not the Lord, you will always submit to its desires to feed yourself. Money says get, get, get. Get what you have. Get bigger bonds. Get better things. What does the Lord say? Give. Provide for yourselves money back which does not grow old. Who does not fail. You cannot serve both God and money. Money here, if you study it, money here, its original word means mammon. Mammon simply means money, wealth, material possessions. Often usually said in a negative connotation, look at this one, mammon is used to describe all lusts, all excesses, gluttony, greed, and dishonest and worldly gain. In short, mammon, it is the idol of materialism. 
What's Jesus' point? You cannot serve both God and Mammon. Cannot. Jesus didn't say, hmm, maybe you shouldn't serve God or Mammon. He didn't say, nah, I think it would be better if you wouldn't serve. You cannot serve both God and Mammon. It's giving us a choice here, church. To love the one or hate the other. To be devoted to one or to despise the other. To gather worldly wealth or to gather true riches. To be sons of this water, be the sons of light. To build bigger barns or to contribute to the kingdom. To serve money or to serve the Lord. Church, if your heart has not been transformed by the gospel, your heart will not seek God, but will instead seek Mammon. If your heart has not been transformed by the gospel, your heart will not seek God, but instead it will seek Mammon. This text tells us to be shrewd with our quote-unquote unrighteous wealth, with our worldly wealth. Ultimately, money is a wonderful tool but a terrible God. It's a wonderful tool for us to be generous, to bless others, to help others. But it is a terrible and crummy God. It does not satisfy. It fails us. It fails us. Let me end with this verse, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, Scripture tells us, there your heart will be also. Let me just use this time to, to appreciate our campus missionaries. Come on now. These men and women has given their life to seek the Lord, to advance God's kingdom. Muy reality good. Ang reality animes, we cannot be in the mission field 24-7. Is that right? We have work, we have all those things and true enough but if you want this engine of gospel proclamation to be smooth one of our responsibilities is to partner with them Mav Tehaya Matt can't say this but I can't but please do partner with them if you want to invest in internal things help these people help your friends, help those who does not know the Lord. Invite them into your homes. Invite them to your Bible studies. Invite them to church. Show kindness to them. Preach the gospel to them. Another application for this is we carve out time. Not just our mind, but how we spend our time. We carve our time, number one, to know the Lord. And we carve out time to make Him known. Maybe the reason why some of us can't be in the mission field because we're not that, we don't have that gift, maybe different than calling the Lord, perfectly fine. Different calling the Lord, it's okay. Not all of us are called to be missionaries, the man. But if God would call you to partner with Him, then partner with Him. Probably because you're not 
You don't know the Lord's way. Hadlo ka mo share, then carve out time of your day to know the Lord so that mag Bible study or victory group mo na kayo ma-share. Ready to call to minister to people because you yourself are being filled by the Word of God. Church, where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.